I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. Fire dangers increase during the winter months and claim more lives than at any other time of the year. Deaths caused by fire are only part of the story, as there are thousands of displacements when homes are destroyed, contributing to homelessness numbers across the nation. Unfortunately, the statistics on winter fire destruction are devastating, but they also highlight the need to educate the public on ways to protect themselves, especially during the winter months, as cold weather brings additional home fire risks. Unwanted and destructive fires are preventable, and the steps people take to prepare now can save lives. To help people prepare for winter weather, FEMA's Ready Campaign's first ever Winter Ready public education effort is designed to reach all communities with simple, accessible, and culturally competent messaging on how to protect themselves, their loved ones, and their homes. This is the second episode in a series where we consider all aspects of winter preparedness and the challenges that winter weather and cold can pose. Dr. Lori Moore-Morell, the head of the U.S. Fire Administration, and Justin Knighton, FEMA's External Affairs Director, join us to talk all about how we all can be fire safe and winter ready. All right, so the second episode in uh, in furtherance of FEMA's Winter Ready campaign, uh, we're so excited to be joined by Dr. Lori Moore-Morell from the U.S. Fire Administration. Dr. Lori, it's a thrill to have you back. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Marky. Thank you so much for this. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm excited about the conversation and certainly want to address fire and fire risk during the winter. It's obviously a very uh, important topic as we think about uh, winter weather, cold weather safety, and um, and FEMA's doing a great job by focusing in on that through our Ready campaign with our Winter Ready effort. And so we also have Justin Knighton, who is the Director of External Affairs for FEMA. Uh, Justin, also, uh, you know, a repeat guest on the podcast. It's great to see you. Uh, great to be here, Mark, talking about Winter Ready. Uh, and to be joined by someone like Dr. Moore Morale is just really incredible. Thrilled to have the conversation. Justin, um, you know, w- the Ready campaign has just a uh, an enormous amount of information to help people get ready for a variety of disasters. So why did the why did the Ready campaign decide to launch the Winter Ready specific campaign um, this year? We need to understand the importance of the nation's ready campaign, right? This is a campaign that not only helps individuals understand their uh, risk and the steps to take uh, to get more prepared. It's also a really important campaign for our states, uh, local, uh, territorial, and tribal governments um, who need resources to be able to communicate uh, risks and steps to preparedness to the public. This has been a campaign now that is um, 20 years old and becomes more and more important as the years go by. But we need to transform the way that we are communicating these hazards. And we need to think differently about the populations that we're reaching. Because simply providing facts and lists of information of the steps to prepare without context, without thinking about the communities that we're serving and the different nuances that are important about their experiences, and potential connection to this information, and the idea that some of these hazards can feel overwhelming for people when they're just trying to survive today, right? Just surviving today is a big challenge, much less a hazard that they can 
um, also be thinking about on top of that. And so we're taking a lot of steps at FEMA to think differently about populations with the Ready campaign and how we're engaging Latinos, Black and African-American communities, older adults, people with disabilities, rural communities, et cetera. Um, but we also have to think differently about the risks um, because just communicating the risks that people have and the hazards that they have to be thinking about over and over and over, it, it overwhelms people. It creates fear. It almost creates a burden of, uh, you know, inaction because it's too much. How do we make a campaign that's for people, that is relatable, and that provides very complex, difficult information in a way that resonates with them? You know, last summer, the last time I was on this podcast with you, we were talking about our summer ready campaign about extreme heat because we knew that years and years of talking about extreme heat is overwhelming for communities. But what we weren't talking about was just the steps to get a little bit more ready for those heat events, to keep people safe and to educate communities. We wanted to replicate that with this Winter Ready campaign in a way that's more direct, it's simple, it's tangible. And the element here that I think is shocking for a lot of people is the full risk uh, scope of the winter, which also includes fire. We wanna make sure that we're also thinking about all the hazards that are prevalent in the winter and fire, fire, fire is top of the list. For sure. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you talk about like giving giving uh, those who are out there charged with uh, the safety of our communities, the resources to be able to kind of communicate this and understand this. And so um, but but even as we provide this sort of really thoughtful advice, you know, either to the public who want to want to look at our resources, but also those that are charged with communicating it. Are we aware of any misconceptions out there that the public or people have specific to winter safety? And um, and how can we address those? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if you look at the uh, CDC's uh, National Center for Health Statistics, they report that more temperature-related deaths come from cold exposure than heat. And I think that in the narrative of heat wave after heat wave, uh, a lot of the optics and a lot of the public polling shows that people actually think that it's heat-related uh, deaths that are on the rise. But when you look at other sources, that that cold actually becomes a challenge for communities, especially communities that already have a vulnerability uh, to begin with, right? What's a disaster? A disaster is simply when a vulnerability mirrors and matches with a hazard. And so for if you're an older adult or a person with a disability or have any kind of barrier in place um, before that hazard um, hits you, um, that experience becomes very challenging. And I think some of our communities might become complacent when they've experienced winter uh, weather before, right? I've dealt with this snowstorm two years ago. Of course, I'll be ready this year. We have to challenge those assumptions. We all make them, it's human. Um, just like we know when there's a hurricane and a community that has had a, hum a hurricane years ago, might have a little bit more confidence uh, the next go round. Uh, and that's an assumption that we in emergency management and everyone listening today knows is a barrier that we we face and that we have to um, address with every new season, with every new year, is to say that those assumptions will be back uh, and we have to challenge them the best we can with information that isn't just uh, rinse, repeat, that we're thinking about how to frame our information, how to motivate people, uh, in new ways, how to think about 
behavior change, right? Just the idea of hashtag winter ready. It already has a sense of being empowered and, and fostering the sense of empowerment in someone that I can get ready. I'm gonna get ready for the winter. That's a that's a very specific hazard that I can do something about versus where I think a lot of us go in emergency management, which is to communicate all the hazards all the time and all the steps to prepare for them. We're, we're, we're distilling that down into bite-sized chunks that are a little bit more easy for people to understand and to take the steps to do something about. I mean, this is really uh, a very uh, timely conversation as most of the nation dipped into some really extreme temperature, uh, cold temperatures, as well as uh, a, a large portion of the nation just saw some really um, extensive snow. Um, and so as we talk about the risks of fire as it relates to winter ready, Dr. Lori, what are some of the you know specific reasons why home fires uh, are seem to be more or are more common in the winter? You know, that's a, a great question. And it is that um, winter is our time for an escalation of fire risk. And that risk really is primarily related to in heat insecurity. That's how I would I would describe it. Um, if we think through our population and heat in insecurity doesn't mean you don't have heat. In some cases it does, but in sometimes it's not enough heat. And so how are we either heating ourselves or supplementing that heat um, insecurity in ways that are not fire safe or they introduce new fire risk? And if we begin to break that down and, and think that through for a bit, we can see using cooking sources, your heat, your cooking stove as you know a heat source. So turning on the oven very high, open the oven door, uh, even the elements on top. If you have an electric stove, or even if it's gas, you know these are all different ways that we're introducing additional risk because we're running them not for cooking, and then you walk away and forget that it's running. Um, the other things are space heaters. You know, everybody, you know, can go and find a space heater in any department store and you bring it home and you just take it out of the box, plug it in. Often we as humans don't read instruction. And so without reading instruction, you might not, again, know how to operate it properly um, and put it close to, uh, you know, in confined spaces or with uh, fabrics near a, a curtain or near a chair and clearly not enough space, uh, these materials get heated and we have ignition. And so these are some of the ways that we know winter temperatures directly influence fire risk. And these are the types of heat sources that we see. Another thing that comes really in this time of year are frozen pipes. Now you're going, how can frozen pipes be uh, you know, a fire risk? Well, it's not the frozen pipes per se, it's how you choose to unthaw them. And so we literally have had fire ignitions, home fire ignitions from people using a torch, a blowtorch to go try to unfreeze their, or a live flame, uh, something to try to unfreeze their pipes. And these are, again, human behavior and choices that people make that really contribute to the additional fire risk. So I think as leaders, whether fire service leaders, emergency managers, that we really have to think about uh, what's the behavior that contributes to that. And so when we message to people, addressing then that, that behavior and just saying, maybe we think about another way, what's the alternative to a choice they may have made? But I think, Mark, back to, to your initial question, this is what we're seeing. It is primarily driven by uh, heat insecurity, during the winter when we've got these uh, winter temperatures that have plummeted 
If I can just add one more variable, you guys know I'm a data person. One more variable to this whole scenario is that we now have massive homeless populations throughout the nation. I know that um, all of our uh, municipal leadership is certainly dealing with that. And these homeless encampments, um, whether they're in a shelter, they leave the shelter, whatever the scenario may be, they too need heat. And so we'll see open flame, open fires, wherever they're built, uh, just for people trying to keep warm. And so these are also some of the additional fire risks that we need to think about and figure out, is there another way? How can we engage um, to try to assist those populations? And often for you know cities or, or uh, state and local tribal territorial areas, this is overwhelming. And Justin used the word overwhelming earlier about how we message. Well, I'm gonna say this is an issue that can be overwhelming for resources and just how to deal with that additional uh, load of fire risk. When we think about those activities that people try to, um, to, to employ to, to stay warm, do you also see any concerns with carbon monoxide issues? Oh my goodness. Great. Yes, absolutely. That's a yes. So just as we talk about uh, in fire safety, make sure that you have smoke alarms, make sure they're tamper resistant smoke alarms or long life batteries, and you're checking them and they're outside your bedroom and they're on every level of your, your home. We're going to say the same thing about carbon monoxide in the winter. You need carbon monoxide uh, detectors, uh, particularly if you're using an alternative other than electricity to heat your home. We definitely need carbon monoxide uh, detectors in that space. So anything, any alternative heating source, that's an absolute must have. There's so many tips that I think that the public needs to hear, and they need to hear them from trusted sources, their local officials, their local emergency managers, their local fire departments. And Dr. Laura, you're, you're going to be traveling to a number of cities uh, in, in the near future to talk a bit about winter ready. What resources are you telling them to, to help them communicate these risks? How are you helping communities help their communities get more winter ready? Uh, great. Yes, we are. We're going on uh, what we call our, our fire stop tour. Uh, last year, we did this and addressed three cities on the East Coast. This year, we're going a little more middle America uh, and go to cities where they have a, a good bit of fire, right, in some of the top 10 cities in the nation for the numbers of fire. And so what we're going to be talking about there to leadership and to communities and community leaders is talking about how we can educate people to help make themselves savable. I will be very frank, and I am and everywhere I speak, we don't have enough firefighters in this nation to address the fire risk that we have. And often we don't have enough to get to you fast enough. And so we try to teach individuals to, and what we say is make yourself savable. There are things that you can do to make yourself savable, whether that is some of the things we've talked about with smoke alarms, knowing your way out. Everybody knows that. Know your way out, how to evacuate uh, a building, um, whatever building you may be in, certainly in your home. Make sure that you know, have a, a place to gather outside. Don't go back in. Call 911 quickly. I mean, these are things that will help make you savable uh, when even before you know the firefighters arrive. And so these are things that we, we talk about uh, and how individuals must engage in their own safety. And then, uh, you know, firefighters are coming. They're gonna get there. They are going to assist you. They'll take care of you. If you are trapped, they're gonna work their hardest to get to you. The unfortunate part is that 
sometimes we don't get there in time or circumstances are such that we can't get to them in time. And so we do have, you know, a lot of fire fatalities in this nation. We already this year are, are, you know, at 150. That's, you know, eight a day. We are above average for what we had last year, already this year. Uh, We saw about six, 6.7 for the year last year and pushing, you know, eight a day right now. We've had two multiples with uh, five children, each under 13, a multiple fire with these kinds of fatalities. These are ramifications beyond the fire itself, right? For the community, for the family, even for the firefighters who are responding. So for all of us to really take a sober look at what does it mean to have a fire death in the community? And then what does it mean really beyond that fatality? Because for every fatality, you have to also understand there are people who are displaced. Now, where are they going to go? We may have some places for them in the short term, but where did they go in the long term when they could barely afford where they were to begin with? And now we have limited public housing, for example. What's our alternative? And so these are things that I really would like our community leaders to think about the fire service, but certainly, you know, community leaders, our um, decision makers and EMs. Um, these are hard issues. And if we don't, then we are continuing to allow these things to contribute to the homelessness, which we just talked about. How does that contribute now to an additional fire problem? So it all becomes very circular, doesn't it? Especially in the winter. I have to say and jump in here really quick, but every time I hear the USFA administrator speak, I, I get a, an instant sense of uh, responsibility that I have to do more and empowerment around uh, the the questions that she asks and and providing both the data and the evidence of what is true and these the strategic questions that she asks about how we have to uh, assess the situation and be better moving forward. And so I feel like I'm in a one-on-one conversation with you, ma'am, like we normally have where I hear you speak and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have five things I have to do right now. So for all your listeners out there, Mark, who are uh, having the same sense, it's just what happens when you speak with the USFA uh, fire <laughs> administrator. And that's why I'm so excited that she's going to be doing this uh, fire stop tour. No, it's fantastic. You know, and I'm reminded by, in in hearing her, her comments, I'm reminded by a conversation I had recently with FEMA's National um, Advisory Council members who care a lot about uh, risk communications, all the hazards that communities do and will experience, uh, and how do we as emergency managers uh, perfect and strengthen our ability to communicate these risks uh, in a way that is uh, tangible and helps to uh, simplify and more importantly, motivate action. And, you know, I think that in that conversation with them, they really liked the uh, the, the summer ready campaign and now this winter ready campaign because it helps put a um, a softer touch on a very complicated uh, and real issue that helps people kind of meet them where they are, right? This is where the FEMA administrator has challenged all of us all the time to think about our work and our actions to, to better meet people where they are. And I don't know about you, but when I'm scrolling on any city state day through uh, Instagram, you know, some content just really sparks my interest over others. And uh, it's usually the the content that's a little bit more edgy or exciting or 
has a human face and is more relatable. And so if you think about this conversation that we're having and, and this campaign that's available to emergency managers nationwide um, and other first responders, quite frankly, who are in a position where they are struggling with and need some support communicating information to, to the constituents uh, and members of their community that uh, would benefit from this information. Uh, this is a campaign that we've been really focused on putting the human face and a softer touch on really complicated information. If you go to the Ready Instagram account right now, you're going to see members of our workforce who are at home and are going through their closet, um, helping to educate people on just the, 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 the type of clothing to wear when you're in a snowstorm to stay um, safe and to, to not um, uh, overburden yourself and to, to present information in a, in a more tangible way. You'll see video of the USFA administrator with firefighters uh, having this conversation in a PSA and more to come as the uh, the fire tour uh, uh, takes uh, takes flight uh, next week. And uh, really just content that is designed to help not only individuals, but content designed to help anyone in emergency management and local government and a position to help get the word out to protect people, really content for you to use to help uh, address some of the issues that uh, you're feeling and experiencing right now this winter and uh, just need some information to help get out to the public. Justin, I like that. Mark, can I, if I can jump back in um, on that, Justin, one of the things that we have that accompanies uh, the ready.gov pages is usfa.fema.gov slash prevention. And that site will have information that's it's the next step, really, to start to dig down, particularly for fire um, that you just talked about. What we talk about in the fire service that's just slightly different, but I know the, the emergency managers and other decision makers will, will get this, community risk reduction. And so that's our label to understand community risk reduction. And for us, that's everything from fire to injury prevention to, you know, making sure you've got car seats, you know, for your babies. It's all things that are all hazards. But for right now, it really is focusing around reducing fire risk. And it's around the, the same context of, you know, making yourself savable. And so on our side, it will go through with what can you do in your community, not just in your home, but in your community to make a difference, particularly if you live in multifamily housing, for example. And so addressing, um, you know, we know that we're going to Detroit, we're going to Chicago, we're going to Columbus. Well, all three of those cities um, are known for, you know, high-rise multifamily dwellings. Well, these carry particular risk. Again, um, human behavior is a contributor to fire risk, but also understanding the layout of what happens when I've got a single-family home to what happens when I have, you know, a duplex or now I've got multi-level multifamily. Because... Anywhere we have greater numbers of people, it complicates the risk itself if there's a fire. And it complicates the decision-making for people in a fire as well as the rescuers. And so, again, understanding the context sometimes helps us start to plan and think through the risk and risk mitigation. And so that kind of community risk reduction, and by the way, right now, uh, this week, has been, I know uh, that may make no sense to anyone on the podcast, but this week, uh, the week of, uh, of January uh, 15 through 19 is CRR week, Community Risk Reduction Week. 
And so for the fire service across the nation, uh, we've been focused on just what I'm, I'm saying to you. How do we reduce these risks? Sometimes it's public education. Sometimes it is actually going in and putting in smoke alarms, tamper resistant smoke alarms. It's making sure that you check the HVAC system in these multi uh, family dwellings to make sure that good airflow can happen or that dampers can be closed if there's a fire and smoke is prevented from moving through the building. Because these are all things that we learn on, you know, from historic fires. Something I often say, and I think it, it bears well here, is that we often learn on the back of tragedy. We make change, whether it's a building code, a new policy, a new regulation, change comes on the back of tragedy. And we need to get in front of that. We should be able to make changes and do uh, mitigation efforts before we have to learn a lesson and people have died. Uh, and so these are things that I think as we talk about not just fire safety, but all risk, how do we do better before we get a tragic incident that now we have to point to and say, because of that, we're now going to make a change. So a lot of these, um, these risk around our living conditions in a lot of cities have to be understood. We can't just gloss over them. And Mark, something you asked me earlier about, you know, it's, it's about the who, um, you know, who's, who's at risk in, uh, in the winter. And the fire, why do we have greater fire risk? Well, a lot of it is um, not just in the winter, but year round. The people who are affected most by fire, in fact, two thirds of them are poor and people of color, communities of color. And that's what we saw in the Philly fire a year and a half ago, two years almost. And then in the New York, the Bronx fire, where 17 people uh, and 12 people were killed. Both of those instances were poor people who had uh, we're living in conditions that were totally unacceptable. Um, and yet we learn on the back of tragedy, what were the things, the mitigating factors that could have taken place that would have stopped those deaths from occurring. So for us to think that through and to get ahead of it is I think all of our responsibility. Absolutely. And, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit or ask you to, um, to maybe talk a little bit about the the opportunities maybe that uh, are related to um, fire safety and children. Uh, the statistics specific to children are, are heartbreaking um, already this year. And I wonder, um, you, you know, what can fire departments and emergency management and communities uh, do specific to children and fire safety? And of those uh, resources that you talked about, are there tools available? Great question. Yes, we often uh, in USFA focus on getting to the children because one of the things that we've learned is that if we can teach the children, they'll teach their parents, right? If we can bring them along and help them understand, you know, have them draw out uh, an evacuation plan out of their home, have them push the button and test their smoke alarm, um, have them understand um, about stop, drop, and roll. You know, all of these things um, that we can bring children along. And so we have all kinds of resources. Again, on that, the usfa.fema.gov slash prevention, you will find all kinds of things that could be downloaded. We have uh, coloring books for all different ages. We have things for teachers to use in their classroom. Um, so we have many, many resources that are free. We also have, uh, at USFA, we have resources that are 
publish. We have our own publication center. We print them and we will ship them anywhere for free. So we have fire departments who will contact us for hundreds of, uh, you know, our resources for children that they can take into schools. And so we want to enable, and a lot of folks don't know that, that that is uh, available to you as a resource from uh, the United States Fire Administration. And so that whole community risk reduction focus on children. We want to give them materials that will last beyond the moment something they can take home, not just a lesson. And, um, you know, we do have firefighters go in the classroom, which is important. And the local fire departments who engage and let the kids, you know, touch their their helmet and their, uh, their mask, their air mask, so that if they are in a situation where they're about to be rescued, if they're trapped in a fire, they're not afraid of the firefighter coming in, you know, with the whole Darth Vader mask going on, right? So we really want them to be oriented to firefighters. And so uh, it's fascinating to watch children, uh, particularly kindergarten, first, second grade, uh, really adapt to understanding what a firefighter looks like if they are, are coming to help you. But beyond that, children are the key to understanding. And then I don't wanna forget, and the other population, and we've already talked about poor and people of color, but I really want to think about how many people in our nation are primarily non-English speaking or English as a second language, right? And so how we communicate these fire risk messages is important because we have cultures that are um, integrating into our culture in America that have fire as an integral part of their culture. And so to say to them, you know, in this time right now, a uh, high risk of fire, uh, maybe let's don't have an open flame, you know, uh, under these circumstances, right? It's it's really teaching and being culturally astute um, to the populations and the cultures in your cities, uh, in your municipalities uh, across the nation. So I just wanted to throw that out because that's sort of a, a bit of a curveball uh, to firefighters, particularly when we're, when we're talking about educating around fire. Uh, when you've grown up with fire being an integral part of of your culture, and to be told, no, we're not going to use fire, you can't use an open flame, uh, that's that's very different uh, for some folks and helping them understand that. That is a beautiful segue uh, as we take a step back away from fire and think about the general winter ready preparedness and think, Justin, you know, for all of the EMs out there that are thinking about putting a, a focused attention on winter preparedness this year, how can they think about their specific demographics, their specific area that might require specific approaches? You're going to hear and you're going to see, and you probably have already experienced this over the number, the last several years, both FEMA and USFA together have been talking a lot about cultural competency in our work. And that is, what does that mean? Uh, it's a big fancy word, but basically what that means is understanding the people that you serve, specifically their values, their histories and their cultures, right? Understanding and having an appreciation for where people are coming from before a hazard hits them uh, is really essential to understand how you have to think about the delivery of information, how you maybe have to add a couple of additional steps of uh, preparedness uh, framing before you get to the actual action of the EM world of getting prepared for a hazard. Um, who is a partner with you as you deliver information. Um, it really is the linchpin and how we think about both the delivery of information, how it resonates, and not only how it resonates, but actually how it motivates people to, to do something about it, right? In the world that we're living in, 
of all the competing interests of information that exist, just think about in a day how many messages you see on TV as you drive to work and listen to the radio and see a billboard and then you go to the grocery store and see a bunch of ads and then you go home and you um, you see even more ads on, on, on television or you're scrolling on your phone. We're being inundated with so many messages. And the, the goal of just helping to inform someone, right? Having people just understand understand a thing is already a huge monumental task, right? That is huge. Just to build awareness is huge. So I just want to say that for the audience to know that that already is a huge undertaking just to understand and to help motivate people to understand something is huge. Unfortunately, those of us in this sector uh, are also have a responsibility to motivate action. That is difficult to not only build the understanding, but to also motivate an action, we have to do it differently. This is why cultural competency is being baked into how USFA and FEMA are thinking about the communities that we serve, not only individuals and, the, and, and people, but also our customers. You know, what a uh, jurisdiction in uh, Washington state needs to communicate with its communities. It's going to be very different than what someone uh, in a community in, let's say, southern Idaho or in Tennessee or in Florida or in Maryland are going to need, right? Of course, the baseline is the same. The, the information to communicate and what we need people to do is the same. But how we are communicating, how we're presenting information, how we are responding to the reality of the people that we serve is very different, right? This is true for rural communities, communities of color, communities from immigrant populations and backgrounds, um, the Latino community of which I'm a part of, very, very different um, in how we are um, portraying information, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of resources that FEMA, in addition to the Winter Ready campaign are providing. In fact, when we launched the Winter Ready campaign, it was also a launch of our annual uh, preparedness campaign with the Ad Council for older adults and really focusing on this kind of merge issue of both the winter ready hazards that people need to be thinking about with the focus of older adults, right? And thinking about how we present information in a way that's empowering, that's relatable, and that really gets um, the information to people in a way that they um, can both understand it and then do something with it, right? And so um, you'll see this more and more coming from us. It's our uh, new focus of how we're thinking about uh, the delivery of information, um, uh, again, to build awareness, but also motivate that action in a new way. And because the conversation started with kids, I have to also plug uh, that the Ready Campaign last year partnered with the Ad Council and the hit animated TV show, uh, Miraculous, uh, to present a animated kind of cartoon uh, PSA designed for kids uh, around that hit show uh, uh, to encourage preparedness. Now, you can't ask me about the show because I've never seen it, to be completely honest with you. I have. I have. Well, you're a father, so that makes sense. But it's out there to help reach youth in the ways that, uh, that USFA uh, administrator mentioned. I got to tell you, um, this is a special episode um, because when when I think about you know so many uh, emergency managers and um, and fire departments around the country, you know a lot of times the the cities come to mind and they have a lot of resources, but there are so many communities out there where 
people are dual hatted with a lot of responsibility and they think, you know, I need to get to my prevention, um, my ed- public education, it's, it's overwhelming. And this is like listening to a masterclass about how to do it. I mean, I love the way, uh, Justin, you just broke down so many distant elements of how to go about doing this. And, and Dr. Laura, you've set the stage so well about, um, just the, the challenges, the risks, the, the, the groups that we need to be thinking of. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe on behalf of the listeners, thank you so much, uh, for, for all of that time. I I wanted to see if we could just leave the conversation with some inspiration, you know, Again, it can seem overwhelming. Can you highlight any successful community programs or partnerships that have have really promoted maybe fire safety in in the winter months or just general winter weather preparedness? Oh, I love that, Justin. I'll go first if that's all right. Um, I will tell you. No, we've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm going to say it again because we are excited about our 2024 Fire Stop tour uh, from Detroit to Chicago to Columbus. Three days back to back. Um, where we take not only USFA, but now FEMA Region 5 is joining us, and we're, we're really excited about that. We're also uh, taking eight national fire service organization leaders to these three cities. These three fire departments have stepped up um, along the way to say, yes, we will engage with you. Uh, we're going to have you come alongside us. And I say that specifically because each of these departments have their own fire safety engagement in communities. And I'll highlight Chicago. And the reason I'm going to highlight Chicago is because they are completely multifaceted when it comes to not only fire safety, but community risk reduction and community engagement. And when we contacted them to do this fire stop tour, they said, well, we can Uh, put you in a fire station in the neighborhood where we have the most fires and that's where we have engaged with our worship leaders and we'll have the community turn out and and you'll be there. And before I could say, yes, that's where we want to go, they said, but wait, we also have our Survive Alive house. And we said, what's that? And our Survive Alive house is where they bring school children from all over the city uh, all year round. And they come in and they learn on props about fire safety and they learn about cooking safety and heating safety and smoke alarms and carbon monoxide and how to get out of their homes and all of these things that they learn um, in this survive alive house. And I think, you know, that's tremendous because this is, you know, every school, every excuse me, every child in the schools at certain grades, they do this once a year. They take their field trips and they go to the survive alive house and then they said, well, we and still there's we've got one more. And that is where we shoot Chicago fire. And we have there's tourists that come here because of that show. And it's an actual functioning fire station in Chicago fire uh, where the actors come and they shoot. But it has become a place of outreach for fire safety because tourists come to see the station, the firefighters are able to engage with them uh, on those terms. And so there's three very different types of engagement and where a department is meeting the community where they are and meeting these different groups of people where they are and taking advantage of the moment and the opportunity to engage and say, oh, you're here. Oh, by the way, let me tell you this, or can we teach you this? And I think that that is a fantastic example. And, and there are departments across the nation that are doing very similar things, uh, particularly with their children and the school children, bringing them in. They have props in these houses, beautiful museums with these interactive uh, exhibits that they have. And literally hundreds of departments across the nation are doing that. But 
Chicago Fire is on my mind for next week. And so I'll highlight them. Yeah, I'll jump in here. You know, uh, two things uh, on FEMA and then one about community. You know, we uh, really saw last year a really uh, a difficult uh, uh, hazard, a snow hazard uh, last year in New York. And uh, it was uh, on our minds uh, most of last year and compelled us to actually build a partnership with the NFL, uh, with the Buffalo Bills, where we had the administrator film uh, a PSA uh, with the team and their mascot, um, really to help, again, launch the Winter Ready campaign uh, to get both uh, awareness about that campaign, but also just information uh, to reach the public, right? Meeting people where they are. They're probably not sitting by their phones looking for the latest post from their local government uh, EM or FEMA uh, alert channels necessarily on a random Tuesday, but they're probably looking at what the the stats of the game were that they missed on a Sunday. And so we wanted to kind of jump into that sphere of influence and kind of get information that was relatable to people with interests uh, through the Buffalo Bills and the NFL to get information out in a way that would be more relatable to them. Uh, and, and, and this is also to acknowledge that we know that it's not just us in Washington, D.C. Uh, that will have all the answers or all the ideas that actually that innovation, uh, very much what the USFA administrator mentioned, is going to come from uh, states and cities who are doing really remarkable work. And so on the 20, um, uh, the, the 26th of this month, uh, we're actually partnering with the Department of Homeland Security uh, to convene a Winter Ready Extreme Cold Summit designed to create a platform for you know, local emergency managers and resilience officers and other leaders on the front lines of this issue uh, to present and lift up their best practices, their strategies, and their solutions uh, to solve some of our winter month hazard challenges uh, to, in to inspire and empower and educate their colleagues, really, really to, to be a platform uh, to encourage this conversation across the board. We're really thrilled to do it. Uh, and this is kind of what we've been doing this whole campaign, right? About a month ago, we had a similar convening with our community emergency response teams, CERT, to have a conversation to bring the Winter Ready campaign top of mind for CERT, but really to host a convening to get CERT leaders across the country to connect with themselves, to share their best practices and strategies. And CERT is doing some really innovative, uh, dynamic uh, things to reach people uh, where they are in ways that uh, government alone just can't do. So uh, shout out to CERT and, and uh, other volunteer organizations that are helping to be an echo chamber and a force multiplier of pushing preparedness in ways that will actually resonate. So. Uh, I can keep going on and on and on. Clearly, I'm very excited about it, but I'll, I'll stop there. Mark, if I can, I would just uh, close by saying fire is everyone's fight. That's been the USFA uh, theme for quite some time. We want everyone engaged in not only fire prevention, uh, but understanding uh, human behavior and that how it contributes to fire, because that is part of fire safety. Uh, Justin talked about behavior change. We want to engage in that. We want to make sure that we are helping people understand so they can make the right decisions, uh, understand even based on their culture. Fire is fast. Everybody under should understand that. It's faster today than it was years ago um, because of the materials we have in our homes, because of the materials we have in our offices. Uh, fire is fast, period. And 
we have to help people understand how to make themselves savable until the firefighters get there, they're on their way, but there's not enough in this nation to address the fire problem we have in this country today. America is still burning. And I'll just say that I think emergency managers are such a um, critical role in our communities at every level of government. And the institutional knowledge of emergency managers is bar none a, a beyond most other sectors. And the work that emergency managers do is phenomenal. And in my time in this industry, I've just been blown away after um, uh, every interaction I've had with just the, the breath and the passion that you get when you work with an emergency manager. I think now it's given where these disasters are, are on the increase and the uptick and becoming more uh, uh, costly and dangerous. And it's um, a multiplier effect of having a cascading of disaster on top of disaster um, that our communities are experiencing. I think now, as we think to what's next, it's how do we take that brain power, that knowledge and that experience and pull it out in a way that that is um, relatable and that is um, kind of my, more digestible and can resonate with communities that that need the brain power and the experience of an emergency manager, but in a way that will um, kind of uh, exist within the world that they live, uh, but to help bring those two, those two superpowers together, right? And so I'm hopeful about that. It's what we're trying to do here at FEMA uh, in partnership with USFA and uh, really excited and empowered about what's next. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov slash podcast.